Hey, it's Simon. This is Turning the Tables, a podcast dedicated to stories of people who've overcome adversity to find new purpose and meaning in their lives. Welcome to part two of my interview with actor, singer and comedian Michael Crawford. In part one, we talked about Michael's career rise to fame through television in the hit series Some Mothers Do Have Them, to his award-winning performance in The Phantom of the Opera on Broadway. In this episode, our conversation moves on to how Michael, at the height of his career, contracted a mystery illness, later diagnosed as ME, while performing on the West End stage. I would be able to last half a day at the most and I was gone. I had no strength. The memory of it is, it's inexplicable. The recreation of the famous scene from Some Mothers Do Have Them, where Michael hangs off the back of a bus at the London 2012 Olympics. And Michael's reflections on his resulting changing life priorities and his continued work with children's charities. So, as we've talked about, the emotional depth and and physicality in characters was very much part of how you approached your acting and and singing career. And then later on in life, things went a bit amiss for you, didn't they? Yes, I was doing a a musical again for Andrew Lloyd Webber, which was uh, The Woman in White. And it was a difficult uh, show to do. I played... Count Fosco, this Italian doctor. My picture of him in the book was this enormous man. They had this suit made for me, I was measured for, which made me quite massive, and then prosthetics all over my face and my head that built out my chin to noise. It was so realistic. And I had people coming in from America who come and say, so there's a big theatre group in America and they came in and they said, oh my God, he's put on so much weight. They couldn't believe that it was me, that that was yes. someone I'd put on this weight. Yes. And uh, the, the, the Nederlanders, I think it was, and they were telling people in the interval who then came round and told me what they'd said. Then they came round and I made sure they saw me taking it off. Yes. Uh, <laughs> um, it was very realistic. It was great makeup, great costume, great body thing but it took its toll after a a short while I'd lost so much water that I'd done quite a bit of doubt I I can't think of the technical term but my nutrients had gone I you can't just replace it with water I didn't realize that I should be taking something like Dioralite every other minute to replace the salts and the, the, the the things that I'd lost yes so um, I think Anthony Andrews, who took over from me, d- drank so much water that he literally nearly drowned. That's that's how much water, wow. and that's the damage that that you could do to yourself. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was it was a terrible story to hear. But I went down with so I I I became ill anyway, and. We didn't know what it was, but I, I was, it was like having the flu, but without the body aching. And 
So I went and saw the doctors, uh, the doctor, and uh, they said, uh, oh, you'll be all right, but just, just make sure you take plenty of fluids during the day and you'll be fine and get the nutrients back in you. So I did everything I was told. Uh, two weeks later, I still was not well and didn't have any strength. I then felt a little better and I would get up in the morning and, and by midday I could, I, I felt I can call the theater and say, I'm, I'll be in tonight, I can come back. And suddenly I couldn't. It would, I would have this tiredness come over, this fatigue come over me and I'd have to go and lie down and I would be there for the rest of the day. So they had doctors from the theater come and see me. They had, you know, because there were insurance things going on as well because we were, yes. you know, it was affecting business. It was affecting, the, uh, you know, people having to think, well, are you going to come back or are you not? And there's a responsibility that, so, that I have too to get back and do my job to the production. It just didn't happen. I would be able to last half a day at the most, and I was gone. I had no strength. It it almost it, it, you, one can almost feel it as as one talks about it. it it's it, it's as though you can bring it back by you take deeper breaths. I'm taking deeper breaths now because it the, the memory of it is it's inexplicable. It's mm. Then they came up with the idea, my doctor, in the end, said this could be ME. It's estimated that 250,000 people in the UK and around 17 million people worldwide suffer from ME, or chronic fatigue syndrome. It's a fluctuating neurological condition with symptoms affecting many of the body's systems, most commonly the nervous and immune systems. People with ME experience debilitating fatigue and a range of other symptoms associated with the body and the brain's inability to recover after expending even small amounts of energy. Perhaps the greatest challenge for sufferers is the difficulties in diagnosis and the common misconceptions around the condition, which can lead to doubts about its validity. It became public that I got this, and I think the the organisation that there is for me asked me would I speak about it, and I, I I I'm not equipped to speak about it. I I can't speak for myself, and to this day I can't, mm -hmm. as I'm desperately trying to describe it to you. I cannot do it. I think for the people who who may not know or understand the condition it, it is very difficult to to appreciate um obviously we met through this condition because obviously i had uh, cfs as it's now i think called more commonly and it is an enormously debilitating condition you know for people who don't understand it they often think, well, you haven't got much energy, but in reality, it's so much, so much more than that. It's literally difficult to walk anywhere, talk, or yes. do anything in its worst form. As I say, as we talk about it now, this is the first and longest time I've spoken about myself doing it mm. since I was ill, but it's it's slowing me up to think about it, it mm. making my breathing different 
to talk mm. about it. Mm. Um, your sister was my my singing, my vocal therapist mm. for my voice. And wh when she'd helped me so much at the end of a production I did recently called The Go-Between, I said, you've been just brilliant with me. Thank you so much for all the help. I said, is there anything I could do for you? It would be, be wonderful. So she said, well, you had ME, didn't you? And she said, my brother has it. And I, and I feel as though I've, I've lost my brother. And it's not the same man. I said, well, she said, would you speak to him? And I said, well, I, 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 and then immediately I got very nervous because I thought, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. I'd not wanted to talk with with the organization before because I wouldn't know what to, mm. I could do to help or be of any assistance. Anyway, I called you, and it's not the same man I'm talking to now, I can tell you, listeners, that, that this there was a, a warmth at receiving the call, but we didn't get very far. We just, yeah, there wasn't much response from yeah. you at all. Well, when you called me, obviously, number one, there was enormous surprise. But uh, after that, I think it was probably the, the, the worst period for me uh, at that point when you talked to me. But through our conversations over the following months, I think what I would say is that your intuitive understanding of what was going on with someone with ME was there and it really helped me enormously to to recover and i think what's interesting now is that a lot of research is being done on the condition and i think there's increasingly a belief that it is a condition of the brain a dysfunction of the brain where your nervous system goes into haywire effectively and um, it therefore makes sense that changing the way you look at things and your attitude to things and your attitude to yourself is key in actually recovery. Now, you did that in a, in a slightly different way, didn't you? Because you actually went away and, and literally took yourself out of the stresses and strains of, of, of the life you were in, didn't you? Yeah, I, it was... Uh... There was a lot of pressure uh, about not being in the show and, and letting people down. So I, it's not something I was used to or had ever had happened to me before. No. So I was devastated at that. I mean, I, I heard that it was said, oh, he, he's got the flu. Yes. He's got Michael's flu. Yes. And you just feel so sad. And this is someone who was never off, never no. did, never missed no. a show, couldn't do this, no. and yet then that happens to you. I, I, I went to New Zealand and I, I got a house there and I spent a year recovering. And I think I was planting trees, little fruit trees, and, and I was building a garden and... I was reading, I was swimming, I was doing something that didn't have the eight shows a week syndrome where I was used to the military precision and the discipline in my life and all the worries that come with it. There's great success comes with it, but there's also tremendous pressure, which 
it goes with the job. I'm not moaning about that. I did, I've done it for years, so it's, it's, it's something I loved and still love now. This was like rebooting your computer, to put it simplistically. That's, that's the nearest, I, that's just come into my head now. It, it's as though they say, well, when you've got a problem, just reboot it. Take the, no, turn it off at the back. I leave it just a little. Now turn it on again. And everything starts up again. But it's slowly. And there aren't people on the phone saying, well, how are you now? Are you feeling, are you, can you come in now? Well, can you get in tomorrow afternoon? Well, can you do that? Can you do that? And that, that at all, there was nobody there. Mm. I was just mm -hmm. there with my partner and she and I just started again. Started again, yeah. Went back to basics, I guess. Yeah. And, and that's as simplistically as I could put it. And slowly it worked and I began to have energy where I would be able to walk and lens, spend the entire day and, and then watch some television and, and then have an early night and, and got into very early mornings getting up and life began again. I mean, in, in a sense, you were, you were taking the pressure off yourself in, in a way, weren't you? Because yes. I'm... You were obviously a very professional. You put a huge amount into your acting and your performances. Um, you know, you, you, of your own description, you're a, you're a perfectionist in that in that regard. I related things to you that, mm. and we we would only speak for a short amount of time, and and I would say about baby steps, about doing something, mm. going out the bedroom and going mm. to the kitchen. And we spent about three weeks on that. And slowly you go from one biscuit tin to a jar further over in the room, literally, did we yes. not? And it was an achievement and it was success. And then we'd just leave it. I'd say, I don't want you to show off about this now. And there'd be humor. <laughs> there'd be humor with every, every yes, time we spoke. Yeah. And it brightened. You just were turning a few more lights on, I felt. And the lights were coming back inside you, just tiny, tiny little lights at a yes. time that you put around a Christmas tree. Yes. And then months and months later, uh, and when we first met after two years. Yes, two years of we conversation. We met for the first time, and it was a different man. It was, and the smile you have now on your face is just, it wasn't possible yes. all that time ago. Yes. Well, and I, and I think I'm sure you'll agree with me that when you're in it, it's very hard to see to see that. And I think yeah. that's probably the biggest challenge for somebody who has the condition. It, it's accepting that you have that condition and yeah. you have got to reboot your life. And I think the other thing is that it's not about getting back to where you were before. No. Because the reason you got in that place is something to do with yes. where you were before. Yeah. So I think that that is the hardest thing um, for anybody to to comprehend. But I think you know, giving an optimistic message for anybody who, who is unlucky enough to have the condition or someone who knows the condition is it really is taking those small steps to reboot yourself. Great words you use. I have a greater appreciation, as most people do, I talk to, mm. of life. Yes. And you respect things 
yes. a lot more. You have a, a, a lot, a, a, an awareness of the world around you yes. instead of being blinkered about. As as we have to, we have to earn a living, mm. pay our rent, we mm. have to pay our mortgage, mm. we have to feed our children, mm. we have to be a husband, be mm. a partner, mm. be strong. Mm. I met you for the first time, brought to my home by your sister, who was my vocal therapist. And she, when you just walked out the door, she put her arms around me, she says, I have my brother back. Yeah. And it was, was so, so nice. moving. Yeah. It was so moving yes. that she'd lost her brother. Yeah. It's like I, I would imagine, like a mental illness yes. that you have, and people think you're 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 someone else. Yes, mm. Mm. but it's, the real person is, a, is in there. It's just, yes, of course. I, I think the you said this to me, and I think this is so true. Is that for the people around you when you have that condition, it's really hard because they don't understand. No. So the, the doctors don't necessarily understand. They give it a label, but there is no obvious cure. No. Um, so it's very hard for everybody. And if you have children, you, you could know uh, daddy can't go out in the car today. Okay? And it becomes, there can become a, a gap between you and your children because a child has to be tolerant of the person who... Is, is looking after them mm. up till now, yes. and suddenly my dad the other way isn't around. there. Yes. I'm looking after them. Yes. And, and, and I know this is happening everywhere and every day of our life. So many different things happen in families, but now I've reached a, a sort of ripe old age. Um, <laughs> I, I'm not worrying about what job I do next, and I, and I have far more time to think about much more important things, really, about humanity. Yes. Michael returned to the stage in The Wizard of Oz, and a number of years later, in the stage performance of The Go-Between, which was widely acclaimed. Robert Diamond wrote, By the show's end and a thunderous standing ovation, I can report that five-plus decades into his career, not only has Michael Crawford not lost a step vocally or in his ability to mine a character, but he's drawing on the wealth of expertise and stagecraft to create another powerful and unique creation. The performance was also remarkable for its feat of endurance because Michael was on stage for nearly three hours, a testament to his stamina and recovery from the ME. Happily for both of us, we, we you know we we came through it. Yeah. Um, and but in your case, you obviously got back onto the stage and and started back where you began in many ways. Yes, I I'm, I really had much more pleasure in the things that I did. I did something like the Wizard of Oz, and I had a lot more fun doing that than I had before, where it had been so intense. But this was fun. I mm. was playing some, you know, crazy wizard, and and it was light-hearted, and and it was was a lot easier. I mean, I must say that doing the go-between wasn't wasn't uh, wasn't an easy task. I mean, that was a very intense role, but I loved it. I loved it. I had my love and energy back for my work. Mm. Do you think you've learnt from that experience? I learned that by my going to New Zealand and restarting, 
and rethinking and not having the pressure so helped me healing. It mm. did. And there are one in 5,000 people that can, are able to be able to do that. So I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm in a privileged position that yes. I did that. And, um, but if there's, there's any way, there is no rush with someone. You just love them, care for them, and take them on a gentle journey back because you've got to believe you're going to get them back. Mm. Do you think it's changed your mindset in terms of how you look at life and what you decide to do? I mean, I st I'll still stress about certain things of, and and uh, my wife will always just say, you know, you can I and breathe and just breathe and so I breathe. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I think it gets you, I mean, certainly in my experience, it, it, it makes you, you, you use that word reboot, but I think it, it gets you to rebalance the way you look at life and, and, and where your priorities should be. I think so much, particularly society today, technology, people are being driven faster and faster and faster and, and don't have time to breathe. That's true, but that's see that's again an adaption of growing growing that much older. I'm in that transitional period because I'm fighting it. I'm fighting being I can't even say the age I am, but I have to I have to fight that because I don't feel it. I want to be I want to stay at 50. And and that, you want to do that trapeze act again that you did in Oh yes. In I mean we did sport aid two years ago yes. and I was on roller skates yes. still hanging that on the back amazing. of a bus. So my proudest thing was that I didn't fall over once. So yes. that was when we finished. Fantastic. I went to the uh, the stunt boys and, and that we were all sort of high-fiving each other because they'd done, done their it, job yeah. and I'd done my job. Yes. Um, without each other, we couldn't have done it. What gives you most joy in life now? I suppose, but simplistically, life itself by... I'll sit and look at the the river and the people having fun. I love watching. There's a there's a playground there where you can always hear in the distance children, children. playing. Yes, in the in, and and my charity's always been for children that you look after kids who have less of a chance in their childhood than I had. Because you're involved in, I think it's... Um, the Sick Children's Trust, Sick I've been president of for 30 years. Tell us a little bit about... Uh, well, it supplies accommodation for parents and children who are having life-threatening illnesses and they have treatment, they have treatment for their, their conditions and they say they live in, uh, I don't know, Oxford... They go to the Cambridge House. We have about nine, ten houses around the country that will provide free accommodation for a family so that they, the family won't be broken up and the siblings can be together so that they're not left out and separated for any length of time. The parents don't have to travel to Oxford from Cambridge every day to see their child, otherwise they're sleeping next to the bed. Yes. So... It, it's something that I got involved with quite yes. a ways back. And then I have my own charity, which is it's called the Michael Crawford Children's oh, Charity. Okay. Yes, so we have people who will run for us in the, in the marathon and the rest I supply from uh, my income. Doing things that, that slip through the social services yes. that can't supply. Yes. Like you've got, you've got a family of four and one child can't join in and play. Yes. You, you you make it that they can have a tricycle. They've got involvement in life. And 
and the main thing that you have is is love for those close to you. It's 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 so vitally important. Thank you so much, Michael, for uh, talking to us. Um, it's been absolutely wonderful, and um, wish you very well. Thank you, thank you, Simon. So, what can we take from this conversation? Well, quite obviously to me, it reinforces the point that Michael has been one of the greatest performers Britain has produced. But more than that, shining through has been Michael's warmth of character, kindness and compassion to other people. His commitment to the Sick Children's Trust and his own children's charity is still as strong as ever. In terms of the adversity he suffered with ME, I think the insight here is that sometimes in life we do need a reboot, to use Michael's word. Not to get back to where we were before, to find a better balance in our lives. If you suffer or care for someone with ME-CFS, you can find some resources in the show notes which might provide some help. Thank you for listening to this episode of Turning the Tables. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and be sure to listen out for the next episode, where I again will be exploring with my guests how they turned adversity into advantage. See you next time. Go safely.